Creativity in business is a team sport. There's more pressure than ever to innovate and serve customers in new ways. That means creating a shared vision, building trust, experimenting, and being efficient. Oh, and selling that great idea. Our guest is the Senior Vice President of HubSpot Product, a leading voice in the product management community and a songwriter and guitarist for a band. It's Christopher O'Donnell on the Manager Message Podcast. Welcome to the Manager Message Podcast, where professionals come for ideas and inspiration to grow by talking about their businesses more effectively and getting lots of other people to do the same. Here is your host, consultant, professional speaker, and author, Jim Carr. Come on in and welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast. I'm Jim Carr. I help professionals and entire organizations to get the most out of their everyday business conversations, the ones that generate by far the most growth opportunities. And that means improvements in your revenue, customer engagement, employee engagement, and your brand and reputation. I do that through consulting, professional speaking, and advisory work. My programs include guidance for message leadership with groups of professionals, as well as messaging transformation across an organization. On this podcast, we discuss three foundational components so that you can manage your message. First, the message itself, meaning the words, stories, and evidence you want your marketplace to know about. Second, your messengers, the network of people who can help you share that message. And third, management habits that will shape your culture and turn those improvements into an everyday competitive advantage. My book is now available from Career Press. It's titled The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Indie Books. The audio version is on Audible, Apple, basically anywhere fine business books are sold. You can also find a sample on my website, jimcarr.com slash books. We bring all of this together for you because, simply put, it is much easier to grow your business when you are a message manager. Our guest today manages to combine technology, product development, music, and public speaking. Christopher O'Donnell has built dozens of web and mobile products ranging from language learning for the U.S. military to the most popular free CRM product in the world. He has also recorded dozens of albums across musical genres. Christopher is the Senior VP of Product at HubSpot, which puts him in a very visible leadership role in the product management community has him lecturing at MIT's Sloan School of Management and major corporations. Apart from the day job, Christopher is a songwriter and guitarist for a band called The Providers. I've been looking forward to this opportunity to talk about technology, creativity, product development, stuff that customers love, maybe a little music as well. Christopher O'Donnell, welcome to the Manager Message Podcast. I'm thrilled to be here, Jim. Thanks so much for having me on. I've been looking forward to it as well. Thank you. Joining us from uh, the Boston area today, correct? I am. Yeah, the beautiful classic fall day here in the Boston area. This is the kind of day that people pay tickets for, you know, literally to take bus rides around and see the leaves. So it's absolutely gorgeous today. Terrific. It's a great area. Christopher, like many of us, you are definitely a moving target. You joined a small startup from a a more predictable and comfortable environment, as I understand. That small startup became part of HubSpot. What prompted that sort of change for you? Well, I think it was seeing the customer focus and speed, the agility that this startup that I ended up joining, it was a startup called Performable. 
it was about six people at the time. And I simply, I, I was the first paying customer and I simply had this experience one day that blew my mind where I submitted a support ticket and the CTO, Elias Torres, called me and fixed the issue with me immediately while I was on the phone with him. Uh, and I thought, boy, the combination of design and product, you know, entrepreneurship, and then being able to do all of that with such a, a strong customer lens and to be that close to the customer was something I needed to learn more about. So I, I ended up joining that crew and that crew ended up joining HubSpot. And I've kind of just done what I could to hold on to the rocket ship the last eight, nine, 10 years. <laughs> it has been a rocket ship there. That's really interesting going from customer to joining the team. You know, I think it would be fun, Christopher, if you could take us a little bit behind the curtain. You are running a world-class product development team there at HubSpot. As I understand, you have more than 150 people or so in the group. Is that right? Yeah, it's about 200 now in the group. We've added about 100 this year. No kidding. At fast growth. So what is it like in terms of the number of products and projects that you're looking at at any point in time, if we took a snapshot of that and wondering about the pressures that come into play, how you organize all of that activity, and especially as you're adding new people all the time? Yeah, it's a great question. The first part is you know, somewhat easy to answer in the sense that we have three product lines. We have a free CRM, and on top of that, three paid product lines, one for marketers, one for sales folks, and one for service folks. So in that lens, it's fairly straightforward, I suppose. On the people side, or more to the real story, we have 110 product teams who each individually own a slice of that larger product line, in many cases, owning shared components across you know, those three paid products. And for me, the, the game is, is much more about understanding how to motivate and align those teams who do remain very much empowered to address customer pain, just like when Elias called me and solved that bug. We still have that DNA uh, and we can move very, very quickly. Those teams are taking improvements to the product to customers close to a thousand times a day, over 900 times a day. We're actually improving the product and updating the code base in ways that affect customers and improve their lives. So, you know, that that's really the challenge. And I'm, I'm thrilled to be here because, you know, the common thread through everything in my life, really, even, you know, putting my kids to bed, the common thread here is storytelling. Mm. You know, songwriting is storytelling. Product leadership is absolutely about storytelling. Everything really comes down to that. And the more that you get the message right, the more the whole thing can scale. Sure. And it sounds like then that number of people and the different product teams, so a given member of the product development team overall is probably going to be on more than one thing at any given time? Typically, they're not. You know, it, Really? Yeah. I mean, what we say is, you know, look, here is a team. Here is the design, product management, engineering. We call it a triad. Here is this local leadership team. And we give them a very clear scope of ownership. We ask them to own every aspect of that part of the product. There's no throwing it over the wall for, for someone else to support <laughs> it. And because of that, we're able to do some really interesting things in terms of giving them power to make frontline decisions, you know, much in the way that the Ritz-Carlton famously does in the hospitality industry. Those teams are able to make decisions without running them up the flagpole and running them back down. And that allows us to move really quickly. It also makes it a really fun place to work, a dynamic place. 
and allows us to attract and retain super creative, highly skilled and, and fast growing folks. And I think that's a great point, given that for all of our message manager listeners, I think there are a lot of things that we can draw upon here, whether we have an existing product or service line that we're always trying to tinker with and improve and stay close to the customer or bringing new things to market. But first, Christopher, you said you brought about 100 new people into an organization that was already growing pretty quickly. And I would presume there are a lot more than 100 people that would like to work and doing that role at HubSpot. So what are you looking for when you look at people, their experiences, their backgrounds, a lot of things that could come into play? What in your role there at HubSpot makes for a really good prospective team member? Right. Well, certainly skills and experience. And in addition, we have a lot of roles where people can enter into the roles without industry experience. And, you know, we do a lot of on-the-job training and education. Certainly, the company is growing fast enough so that no matter what role you come into and no matter what level of experience you've had, probably you're joining because of the level of new experiences you're going to have. So, you know, I, I would encourage everyone listening to imagine working here. You can go to HubSpot.com slash jobs. And if what we talk about today is interesting and see all of the different roles that we have in terms of kind of characteristics of successful folks, we break it down to something that we call heart. So H-E-A-R-T, being humble, empathetic, adaptable, remarkable, and transparent. And we interview for those things. We reward culturally based on those things. And they're all pretty critical. You know, humility so that we can create an environment of psychological safety where we're all working toward a common goal, which is customer value. Empathy, perspective taking, you know, being able to put yourself into the shoes of somebody in another department or somebody else on the team or particularly the customer, being empathetic to their experience and being able to sort of drop your current worldview for a minute to really listen. Adaptability is huge because simply we're scaling so quickly. These jobs and roles change themselves very quickly. And then also people tend to move forward in their careers rather quickly as well. So there's an enormous amount of change and that can be really challenging. So we look for an ability to, to adapt to change. Remarkability is fairly straightforward. Folks who are high wattage and coming from lots of different backgrounds and, and have done things that are interesting and remarkable. And then the final thing, and I would say this is probably the number one thing that people notice when they come to work here, is the level of information sharing and transparency we have in our culture. So for folks to be naturally transparent or open to a world of information sharing, uh, and again, this sort of non-defensiveness and, and highly high bandwidth sharing of information across teams and with customers is, is super important as well. So those are sort of our big five attributes. So you're looking for that at the intake or the evaluation point at bringing people into your team. It sounds like you're continually reinforcing that as the teams work together and continue to, to build out more. Really interesting. How, you also mentioned, Christopher, that almost a thousand times a day, I think you said, you're talking to customers and they're helping you make improvements and evaluate the work that you're developing. That's unusual. And I would understand that software is a little bit different than lots of other kinds of uh, other offerings. But could you describe a little bit how you have managed to keep the voice and the view of the customer into your full product development process? 
Absolutely. It, you know, it, you can get up in front of a, a group of engineers and say that you're customer focused, but if you're not, they're going to notice it pretty quickly. You know, I, I think it starts with the recognition of primary source material. And what that means is celebrating and promoting, sharing, lifting up the actual stories and feedback, the actual faces and names and locations, you know, and satisfaction levels and, you know, verbatim feedback from customers and putting that in front of as many people as possible. And we favor that over executive mandates. So that's a really critical part, is that when we provide top-down leadership, we do so in a way that is, in many ways, summarizing the context that people ought to already have. And we do a lot of storytelling, but the message, before we deliver the message, all of the clues for the message ought to be evident from that primary source material from the customer. So there are tactical ways that we do this. We have, so we use Slack as a very popular tool for group chat and information sharing. And we have a room in there where all of the customer feedback that we get from within the product is shared in real time. And we're able to discuss that feedback and even develop a plan of action for reaching out to customers and getting more information, sharing that additional information back into the product, tagging each other. Oh, hey, you know, I have a friend in this other department who really needs to see this. CCing in all of the people who are already in communication with, with that customer and providing a really rich conversation that's visible to the entire company. You know, on a daily basis, we have about a thousand people across 3,000 employees. We have about a thousand people in, engaging and, and reading and digesting and discussing that customer feedback in real time. And, and it's great. And frankly, it makes my job a lot easier. You know, when I have to roll out a, a roadmap, which I recently did, I, I, you know, it falls to me to, sort of summarize our goals for any given year in product, naturally, I found really interesting. We do it in the fall, so I just did it. And the thing that really struck me was how, how uncontroversial it was. And I really credit that to so many people already being primed for the message that we were going to deliver from leadership because they were hearing all of this from the source as well. We were simply summarizing it. That's the transparency piece that you talked about earlier. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it really gives you a lot of leverage. And when you need to, you know, let's say you need to uh, go in and do some organizational change work. Well, again, you can tie it back to the voice of the customer. You can tie it back to this primary source information and root your message in that, which gives you, gives you authority and leadership, gives you confidence to make changes, gives employees a way to call BS and, and push back when, when you're not quite right, which they do often and thankfully so. Yeah, it's really enormously powerful to the message crafting to have that level of transparency in the first place, not just when you deliver the message and share it across the company. I'd like to also make a connection here because it sounds like you've got this continuum all the way from kind of coming up with ideas, testing them, and you're, you're bringing products out and developing these roadmaps. All of that, it's not, as you say, kind of throwing it over the wall and uh, saying, okay, that's somebody else's role at this point in the game. A lot of my work, Christopher, is it involves executives and sales teams and more high value products and services. And the stuff can be pretty complicated. And they spend a lot of time in creating new products. And then there's difficulty oftentimes being able to talk about those new products and, and eventually sell them. And I go back, someone that I spoke to last year on the podcast named uh, Tom Steenberg. And probably find this really interesting. He had written, co-authored an article in Harvard Business Review 
called How to Sell New Products. And he is an engineer by background, spent a number of years at Xerox, and he and his co-author spent a lot of time looking at the differences between those bigger enterprises who tend to do pretty well with new product sales and introductions versus the rest who are kind of the majority that don't do so well. Things typically don't meet expectations. And one of the takeaways from Tom's research was that the typical cycle is that R&D develops something, product develops something. Maybe there's a presentation they make to the sales teams at the sales kickoff meeting or the you know mid-year review or whatever that is. And then the, the integration just kind of stops. You know, there might be a subject matter expert or two that's kind of on call, but for the most part, there's a wall kind of, we, we develop this thing now, go out and sell it. It doesn't sound like that's the culture at HubSpot. So first of all, does that surprise you at all that that's kind of the way that it tends to go in other places, but also how do you make sure that it's more seamless from R and D out through to sales? It, It doesn't surprise me. And I think it's a really hard problem. I don't think that we have it solved. We've certainly learned. I think I can say that safely. We've learned what not to do and have put some plays in place that, you know, have been reasonably successful. And I'll, I'll speak to a couple of those. Mm-hmm. One was the introduction of a general manager role. And we're actually hiring for general managers right now. It's a really, really cool job. It's a VP of product job where you also own the customer satisfaction and revenue growth for one of our three product lines and growing at some point in the future, right? So that has been fascinating to have people who are on my team who are product management folks, but really are being measured on the revenue growth of their product as well with the guardrail of increasing customer satisfaction while they do it. They're really, yeah, running a business, it sounds like. Yeah, running a business. I mean, we're a one P&L company, so it's you know there are different flavors of the general manager role across companies, obviously. But you know they get a budget, they have a revenue target, and they have a team, they have a product management team, but not too much more than that. I mean, it's it's a peer leadership role. It is a message crafting role in terms of exerting influence and affecting an outcome. So that's been great. I mean, we had our our quarterly business review yesterday for six hours, and it was all of these product people talking about business outcomes and customer satisfaction outcomes. And we went a long time without that. I think that uh, we were maybe a little late to the party or right on track, but I'm glad we have that role. It creates a much more integrated conversation, and you have people between those otherwise siloed departments who are intimately invested in, in the outcomes across departments. The other role, and, and this sort of hangs off of the, the general manager, we have discovered that by putting somebody embedded with product who is more at the senior manager level, or, or I would think of it as the absolute superstar individual contributor level, at least in this role, though many of them have managed teams in the past, we call it a go-to-market lead, frankly, because we couldn't come up with a better name. But <laughs> That'll work for now. Here's what we do. Here's what we do, Jim. We sort of kidnap somebody from elsewhere in the company to come sit with us. Somebody who knows the ins and outs. You're absolutely right. If you just get up at a sales kickoff or you you do a product marketing kind of sales training or you do battle cards or you do any of that other stuff, that stuff's all fine to do. It's important to do. But when you have somebody who was a star in sales and is now sitting with the product team 
doing calls, trying to sell the software, and they're trained in that craft, but are aligned with product and have the relationships with the products down to the individual engineer, that's been pretty magic for us, I have to say. And that's the ongoing glue between the departments. Again, we don't have it totally figured out. This is still sort of an experiment, but we have a handful of people in these roles and it's been a lot of fun. And they're, you know, when you talk to these people, they just have such a depth of knowledge on both the go-to-market and the product execution side. It feels like a really good thing. Yeah. Christopher, there's been a, a common thread in several of the things that you've talked about. And you mentioned messaging and narrative and storytelling. And storytelling internally, it sounds like, is really important as well. So could you talk a little bit about that? What storytelling means to you and, and your team? And how do you help people to craft stories and share them better? Right. And I think it starts, the internal, anything internal starts with customer outcomes. And then the next logical step from there is high quality people who stick around and do great work that has a lot of impact. That's essentially the role of, of leadership is, in, in my view, to get those people in place doing great high quality work, hiring better and better ones as, as time goes along and keeping them around. In product and design and engineering, it turns out the way that you keep people around is largely by surrounding them, first of all, with great peers, but also giving them a sense that they have a very high impact role. You know, you can have the greatest software designer in the world. They're not going to go work on a product that they don't believe in, in a context where they can't tell the story because they, they view their job as telling the story. So from there, it's a fairly clear challenge. You know, it's organizational design and it's mission setting and the development of a strategic mindset. And, you know, what does it mean to have a strategic mindset? Well, our CEO, Brian Halligan, will come over, you know, occasionally and, or actually more than occasionally, and walk around the engineering floor. And he brings his dog in. He has this great dog, Romeo. And he'll go through and he'll give people high fives. And, and he'll stop people and introduce himself and ask them what they're up to and what they're working on. And basically, you know, hey, tell me a story. I view my job, and I'm very open about this with the team, I view my job as judged by the quality of the response that that person then gives the CEO. So if a, a frontline software engineer can say, hey, Brian, great to meet you. Well, I know you're thinking about these big few things for the company, and you know my product team is building this part of the product, and here's how that fits into one of your things. And so here's my piece of that, and then down to the code that I'm going to release today. Mm -hmm. If that person can tell that story over two sips of coffee, I think we're doing pretty well. And you know that person is going to be able to have enormous impact. They're going to make super high quality, high accuracy decisions on a day-to-day -day basis, much higher accuracy than we in leadership would be making if we very declaratively told everybody what to do down to a line of code. You know, And so I, I think that's really where the messaging and the storytelling comes in for me is bridging that gap and providing a, a geography for people to then live in, you know, give them the lenses of how what the company is trying to do, what customers need, translates into the technology, and give them enough of a frame of reference without trying to provide all of the answers so that people can go walk away from those, you know, those meetings and, and those messages and those wiki pages and start to just really dream. You know, I, I think a lot of software really gets written when people are walking their dogs. 
<laughs> these are creative, sure. these are creative problems. You know what I mean? They, we solve these problems literally when we're sleeping, literally when we're in the shower or just doing some, you know, rock climbing or doing something where we don't feel like we're necessarily working. We're thinking about it constantly. So the more we get the message right, the higher quality all of those cycles are, it really starts to come together and the teams are really aligned. Well, you're right. I think a lot of us, when we clear out some of the noise, clear out some space and we become more creative, we become more innovative and start connecting some dots in new ways. But what you've just described, Christopher, is really unusual. So the ability for someone in, as you say, over a couple of sips of coffee to talk about what they're doing connect the dots into some of the priorities of the company down to their their level of work and the problems you're trying to solve for customers. That's all great, but that's not natural for most of us. Our brains are wired to talk about ourselves, right? And so many professionals, really good people with great ideas and great solutions struggle to do that very thing that you just talked about. So I'm curious about what you might have inside HubSpot or just inside your teams that helps people to be able to do that, come up with that discipline and reinforcement and celebrating people who do it well, because that requires some care and feeding, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it does. So you're right. I mean, I think ego is definitely the headwind there and we all share that headwind. Absolutely. And, you know, you have some success along the way and maybe that headwind picks up in velocity and we need to sort of check ourselves. The tailwind that helps us here. I would say, is the power of the human story. If you can, t- I, I don't believe there's a product, I know you you know, work with a lot of enterprise folks. I don't believe there's a single product on this planet, the story of which cannot be told through the eyes of a human. Agreed. You know, I don't care what you make. I don't care if you're making some sub-assembly for, you know, an electromagnet or, you know, sales and marketing software. Look, we make sales and marketing software. People go, oh, what's interesting about that? And I say, forget about sales and marketing software for a second. Let me tell you about a woman named Lauren who stopped me in the middle of the street at our event. And we finished crossing the street together, which was good and, and safe and prudent. And, and we finished our chat and she told me, she said, you know, I was, at, I was in a role and they wouldn't let me use HubSpot and I had to leave the company. And I found this company, you know, close to the town I live in. And, and I really like the CEO. And I heard from them. They needed to build a website. They, they had quotes, to, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to do email marketing and websites and all this kind of stuff. And I said to them, look, I can come and do all of this for you. And they hardly believe me. But she got the job and she came in and I was talking to her about 90 days in to her new role. And she said, and she just smiled, Jim, ear to ear. And she said, and I built them that website and it looks great. And I did that email marketing and I automated it all. And, you know, and I got it all done, automated it so that I could come here for a week to uh, our event that we do in the fall called Inbound. She said, I can come to Inbound and meet interesting people and learn something new. Everything's running at home. You know, okay, that's pretty interesting. Here's this woman who literally can't do her job without our software, who's feeding her family, who is able to take a week off at a moment's notice, who has this level of freedom in her life. You know, I mean, I literally have goosebumps right now. So that makes it really easy to work on this software when we have those human stories. So from from a leadership perspective, and by the way, sales and marketing, Boy, I mean, this is just, all I'm doing is internal sales and marketing. All of this works perfectly well with an external kind of twist to it in product marketing and in the sales pitch. 
So, you know, I don't care what it is. If you're working on a jet propulsion, yeah, I don't know anything about it, but, you know, you're b- building, well, look, y- your thing is going to be in the space shuttle and look at a generation of young scientists who are going to be inspired by seeing, you know, us go back to the moon in 2024, whatever it is. You can always tell a human story. And I think the message is most powerful there. Every talk that we give, even if it's a little 15 minute roadmap update, we need to start with a name and a face and a direct quote. It's the primary source human material. If you root your message in that, it resonates and it carries through, reverberates throughout the organization. Christopher, I couldn't agree more. And as you were telling that story, and I suspect our listeners at the same time, they're probably imagining that scene. We can paint that picture in our own heads of crossing a busy street, of you having that conversation, of the smile that that woman had and the pride that she must have been feeling in that moment to be able to relate that story. Uh, So those are the connecting threads, as you will. That's terrific. A couple more things here that I think would help tie a few areas together, because we've talked about creativity and storytelling and the development process. There is also the more structural, the process nuts and bolts side of this, especially as you've got a big team. I've heard it said, and I've come to believe that creativity loves constraint, that great creativity, innovation. It's not you know going on top of a mountain for a week or not just sitting in front of a, a whiteboard or a canvas and just letting the muse hit you. It's, it's something that you're kind of feel compelled to do. So my question to you is leading these teams and this fast growing teams, how do you build in constraints? deadlines, accountability, while still giving people the the space to play and dream and experiment? Well, I, I think you're absolutely right. And when we read, as we obsess over the feedback from employees, it's very much this balance that we have to strike in leadership and with our messaging. And the balance is between, if you go too far on one side, people feel as though the culture is becoming top down, they're being told what to do, And the very best people are going to point out all the things that are wrong with it and how they actually know better. And you know what? They do know better. When it gets down to the the work they're going to do that day, they know better. If you have great creative people in in that seat, they're going to know better. Okay, so you got to kind of go up a level and give them some autonomy to solve those problems. But if you go up too far, now you're on the other side of the spectrum and the feedback you're going to get is it's chaos. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) And so people love the constraints. They absolutely love the constraints. So, you know, and I love this quote, just speaking to what you're saying, because I kind of just always come back to it in my mind. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men to gather wood, divide the work and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. You know, that's how you get shipped. Yeah. Is is this message and this storytelling that kind of happens. But again, if you don't give them any way to finish building those ships or you don't have mechanisms to share the knowledge about the right way to build ships and, and build on each other's experience, or you don't encourage the guild ship of the people who do the inner framing of the ships, right? Like to your point, on a tactical level, you need to be very coordinated because otherwise these these great creative people will become quite frustrated. And so, you know, there are a couple of things. I mean, one is you, you do have to find your rhythm. So, you know, find out what the constraints are that actually exist in the world. So for instance, if you're building an iPhone game, 
the constraints that you have that exist in reality are very different from if you are engineering a replacement for, you know, the greater Atlanta light rail switching system. <laughs> or if you're building a, a medical device, or if you're trying to get the space shuttle into space, or if you're, you know, building a SaaS application for businesses. The, the, con- the constraints and the complexity are very different based on those different challenges. So just start in leadership by recognizing those things. Hey, we have an event every year. We want to make big announcements at, at this event. What do you think of that? <laughs> you know, what do you think of that? And, and then we learn over time and we say, you know, we, we, here's what we want to do. We want to have things in front of customers ahead of the event. Oh, well, it won't be a secret. Well, that's probably fine. <laughs> is there a problem that everybody's watching us so closely that everything we do, everybody in the world knows about? No, that's not the problem we have. That would be a very, very arrogant perspective. Plus, plus, there's also the natural question that comes up when you're releasing something or talking about it internally. Somebody's going to raise their hand and go, uh, do we know that this works? Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's, we've learned that's <laughs> that matters a lot more than, you know, having people under NDA. Yes. Oh, your customers know you're building something? Good. <laughs> They'll look forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. Did they tell you it's good? We have, you know, I found out this morning, I had a one-on-one with one of these GMs, this this fellow, Lou Orfanos, who's, who's great and knows go-to-market really well, knows product management really well. And we're developing a new product. And he said that his team had invited into a Slack channel a bunch of our customers who were then arguing and debating themselves over what this thing should look like. And I thought, (laughs) how cool is that though, Jim? Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. You know, and then our product folks are in there and they're just getting into the conversation and putting their thumb on the scale and listening and sort of modifying the perspectives and iterating and, and everything like that. But we've learned, you know, very tactically, guardrails are good and the guardrails need to be fair. They need to be consistent and highly visible. So we have a hierarchy of needs on our product line where it starts with security, privacy, and compliance, and it moves up to you know, back-end reliability, front-end performance, then usability, then feature value, customer value, really, and user engagement and growth. And it's sort of Maslow's hierarchy of needs for everything that they're working on. And then we give them these dashboards of how they're doing. And then from there, we say, okay, here are your constraints. Come tell us about this. We show them that. And we have the data and we have, we're sharing the primary source material, but we don't write them and say, here's how we think about this. We start by saying, give us your perspective. And they'll say, look, you know, here's, here's where we are with this. Here's our timeframe for that. And we can coach and team, split the teams, add people, work with the timelines more collaboratively from there. So we, yeah, we've, we've learned absolutely. The creatives love the constraints, just getting, getting them at the right kind of altitude is tricky. It's an ongoing process. But you know, if you listen for feedback, they'll tell you how you're doing. That's really interesting, Christopher. And I, there, there's one, yeah, I, I scribbled down while you just said a moment ago, it was about finding your rhythm, which is a great segue into the last thing that I wanted to make sure we talked about, which is your music. You are you're a songwriter. You are a guitarist for a band called The Providers. And I think back to uh, a previous podcast guest of uh, a friend of mine named Andy Cohen Healy. And she is a creative entrepreneur. She used to manage the satellite operations for MTV and then found herself, she designs 
They're one of a kind hair ornaments and vintage items, mostly for brides, party goers and the like. She talked a lot about how she finds a creative spark, also runs a business. And what I found interesting, Christopher, is one of her outlets, things that she's very passionate about. She tours with a Japanese taiko drum ensemble. Uh, they go all over the world. So let's talk. You you do all of this. My knowledge of bands and music is limited to what I listen to, but I'm imagining that there's some common threads when it comes to creativity, precision, team dynamics. Talk about the just the musician side of you and how that works with all the other parts of what you do. Yeah, I, I get this question. You know, whenever I do, whenever I am speaking publicly and there is a Q&A section, 100% of the time I get this question of what's a music major doing, <laughs> doing working <laughs> in technology? And my answer is, I'll tell you, without exaggeration, it's the same job. It's exactly the same job at a high level, making a record, for instance, and making a piece of software are really the same thing. You know, product managers are record producers. They're not the CEO of the product. They're not the boss, but they're the person who's going to sign the name on the bottom of it saying, you know, this, this was the right thing for the world and being judged on whether it was. And so what do you need to do to do that? Well, you need, you need the message. You need the narrative. You need the perspective on what it is you're trying to do because you can't just show up and say, here's the record we're going to make. You know, nobody showed up to Abbey Road and said, this is the record. We're it's a process. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? It's a process. And the engineer, I mean, with the Beatles, George Martin, who's the fifth Beatle. It, there is no Beatles without George Martin. In the idea of the engineer and, and producer, the songwriting, all of this stuff going together. You know, I, from what I remember, they are, you know, I think I've read, it was George Martin who sort of forced them to do the string section on Eleanor Rigby. And so the ideas come are coming from all over. So for us, it's the same thing. It's just like getting a, a drummer and a bass, you know, bass player and a guitarist together, and then having a demo. Right? We we mock up software that's very similar to doing a songwriting demo. There's an opportunity that's described by a common language of on the music side, records that we all know and feels and patterns and tempos and keys right? Modalities. And then on the software side, it's exactly the same thing. We're seeing industry trends, we're seeing design patterns, technology platforms, all of these opportunities and constraints. And you need people with a rich diversity of experience, of talent to come together. And finally, th that coming together has to be one where there's psychological safety and a sense of inclusivity. You know, you, you can make a record being a complete and total control freak, and you can make software being a complete and total control freak. doesn't happen to be my thing, <laughs> as you can tell. And it probably won't be as good. Well, here's the thing. If I were Steve Jobs or if I was John Fogarty or something, you know, one of these absolute total control freaks, I think James Hetfield and Metallica was maybe a little bit this way. You know, you, do, you cut a day of guitar tracks and then everybody leaves and then you open the studio back up and you redo them all yourself. <laughs> Look, there's something to be said for that. Definitely. The nature of what I do, I prefer to just be around a bunch of people who are way ahead of me and, you know, try to align them around a common purpose. It's just a little bit more the story of my particular life and may arguably be something that's a little bit more relatable than to waking up one day and, and discovering that you're Steve Jobs. I don't know how often that happens, right? So, Right. It hasn't happened to me yet. 
Yeah, I keep waiting for it to happen. And, and when it does, I'll come in and be a megalomaniac, micromanaging tyrant. But until it does, what I want to do is I want to, I'm always on the outlook for the next great design leader. Who's going to come in and say, all right, look, here's what we're doing right. Here's what we need to do next. Here's the opportunity for the product. Like when I'm in that one-on-one and I hear that from someone, or when I get a text message from Brad Helene, who's my bandmate, and he says, man, I, I have it. I have this new mix. Wait until you hear this thing. That is what excites me. Sure. Christopher O'Donnell, this has been a really interesting conversation. We've talked all the way from recruiting smart people into a a fast-growing team to involving customers in your product development to managing to Metallica. So at various points, we've covered a lot of things here. Really interesting. How, How can our listeners follow and connect with you with HubSpot, with the providers, all the things that you're involved in. Absolutely. Yeah. Come check out the story of the band is really interesting. You can hear the story of the band by signing up on theproviders.com, pop your email in there. We'll give you all kinds of cool free stuff and we'll tell you the story, right? (laughs) We'll give you the message. And it's a band, it's important for a band to have a message and we have a message. So come find out what it is at theproviders.com. And then for HubSpot, we are hiring around the world We have eight global offices. We're hiring remote folks, depending on geography, across every department, sales, service, you know, finance, G&A, certainly product and engineering and design. So hubspot.com slash jobs. Please don't let imposter syndrome get the best of you. If you see a role and it looks interesting and it looks like it might be a stretch, go for it. Pop your note into us, pop your resume over to us, uh, and we'll get in touch with you. We just, we want to meet you. We want you to learn about HubSpot, and we'd love if you came and worked here, so. Christopher, it's been great to meet you through the Manager Message podcast. Uh, Thanks again. Uh, Love to have you back in the future as well. Jim, thank you so much. My thanks to Christopher O'Donnell for joining us here on the Manager Message podcast. And of course, to you for joining us as well. Really appreciate all the comments that have been getting, the growth in the podcast. But it would really help if you would rate and review those Five-star ratings actually do help the robots to lead other professionals to the podcast, people looking for ways that they can bring more power and scale and consistency to the everyday growth conversations in their business, whether that's business to consumer, business to business, not-for-profits, associations. Everyone's trying to hit those growth targets and not necessarily have to turn their business model upside down, but just take advantage of the everyday opportunities that are right in front of them. So thank you for your support and would be very pleased and appreciative if you'd recommend this to somebody else that you think could get some value from it. And you know, when your company or professional association is meeting this year, how many of those People, those participants are looking for practical ways to grow themselves. Well, probably all of them. I offer programs ranging from keynote speeches to workshops to new manager programs, executive level messaging leadership masterminds. Everything's tailored to your group and the specifics of your growth plans. You can learn more at my website, jimcard.com. There's some speaker resources there for you. Includes my contact information. We can talk directly. My email is jim at jimcard.com. And again, my direct number is also on the website. I would also be pleased to connect with you on LinkedIn and to virtually meet up with you on LinkedIn, Twitter, 
I'm occasionally on Facebook, other ways that we can connect. I could answer your questions or serve as a sounding board for you. So until next time, message managers, thanks for joining the conversation. Thanks for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast with Jim Carr. You'll find show notes and other resources at managermessagepodcast.com and jimcarr.com. Please help us serve you and other message managers by subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast. And connect with Jim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Jim Carr. Until next time, we hope your business message is shared well and often.